The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, I am passionate about the next generation. I'm thrilled to have Grant and Cheyenne Skeldon on the podcast today. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Today's episode is brought to you by 10 by 10. 10 by 10 is here to give you the tools you need to connect the young people in your circle to a church. You can visit TENX10.org, that's 10by10.org today to access free resources to help reorient your youth ministry. And today's episode is brought to you by Subsplash. Join over 16,000 churches partnering with Subsplash to make disciples in the hybrid reality of church today at subsplash.com slash carry, subsplash.com slash carry. Well, I really appreciate Grant and Cheyenne Skeldon. I've gotten to know them over the last couple of years, and we are going to talk about what they think is wrong with the church, sort of the next gen. They are they are like hyper-connected in the younger millennial and Gen Z space. So what's wrong with the church? Why there's no next generation crisis, but a discipleship crisis? That, that's coming up a lot on the podcast. Watch for a theme. We're tackling it next year as well. Close-up friends and close friends and predictions about the future church. I'm very excited for this conversation. So Grant is the next gen director at Think. He is the director of culture at Way Church and the author of The Passion Generation, a book published a few years ago. He finds, unites, and accelerates diverse, dynamic young leaders to reach the most lost generation our nation has ever seen. And Cheyenne Skelton serves as partner success manager at Glue, one of our partners, where she closely works with the Barna Group and the organization's missions to serve church leaders with timely insights and resources. In addition, she partners with her husband, Grant, leading the Next Gen Initiatives at Think, where they convene high-capacity next-gen leaders and create space for connection and spiritual health. She's also the director of culture at Way Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where she exercises her shepherd's heart and helps cultivate a community culture that's committed to doing life Jesus' way. Well, leaders, speaking of the next generation, connect with 10 by 10. They are a collaboration of organizations working to support leaders as they disciple the next generation. With more than 1 million young people leaving the church each year, 10 by 10 has strategically created and curated resources to help you bring awareness to the issue, but also they're giving you practical resources to help reconnect young people into a church community, and they provide you with the tools you need to support the youth leaders who serve the next gen. You can go to 10by10.org today. That's T-E-N-X-1-0.org. 10by10.org today to access the free resources and help spark growth to your youth ministry. And then we're also living in a really complex time. Over the last few years, many church leaders and certainly pastors have experienced huge disruptions to what they considered business as usual. But did you know that many churches are actually growing right now? And what do today's thriving churches have in common? They focus on discipleship in a hybrid digital reality. So growing churches are actually living out the Great Commission, and they're using technology to do that. So for 18 years, Subsplash has been building the leading digital platform for churches. They have mobile apps, messaging, websites, streaming, groups, giving, and a whole lot more. They put the best of today's technology into the hands of churches for the sake of discipleship. So if you want your church to access this, join 16,000 other church leaders that partner with Subsplash to make disciples in a hybrid reality. 
Get started today at subsplash.com slash carry. That's subsplash.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And now my conversation with Grant and Cheyenne Skeldon. Well, it's good to have you both on the podcast. Hey, Carrie. So good to be with hey, you. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, Grant? Carrie. Good to, good to hang out. Like we're always together in real life. And now we get to actually do this on the podcast, which is good. Um, so I would love to know, you two are married, but before that, you both got really interested in the specific challenges and opportunities that the next generation faces in leadership. So maybe trace out each of your paths on how you got to this place where you're really passionate about the next generation. I mean, I really did get passionate about next gen because, and specifically next gen leaders, because I just was a next gen leader. Uh, I was around that time, it was probably about 23 or 24, I got my first opportunity uh, to speak at a conference. And it really was a last second two day invite. There was a millennial panel, and this was the prime of, uh, you know, participation trophies was in the conversation, skinny jeans was in the conversation. And um, I, I think they realized this a huge conference that Tim Keller was kind of like headlining in Dallas. And they... Um, they basically realized, hey, we have a, a millennial panel, but we don't actually have a millennial on the panel. So a bunch of uh, which, boomers and Gen Xers talking about millennials? That's always fun. Like, yeah, yeah, and I, I always <laughs> want to give grace that it was definitely people, and because this happens all the time, um, there's definitely people that care about the next generation and impact the next generation. But you got to you gotta have someone in the next generation. And it still happens a lot today. I mean, I, I speak at a lot of different churches, and uh, there's always some younger crowd or a lot of conferences, and there's a younger crowd that comes up afterwards, and they sit together, and afterwards they're like, you know what? You, yeah, at first I was a little skeptical, but uh, you actually represented us pretty well. But I will say, they always say this. They're like, we've been telling them all the same things you said. You just say it better. Um, and they actually try to listen to what you're saying. Um, and so I always tell people, it's like, you got to get them in the conversation. It just does impact it. But long story short is I got in uh, two days before they add me to the conversation. Um, I really honestly was going to go in uh, kind of with a heavy hand because I felt like, man, you guys have 40 speakers. It's so diverse. And I just think uh, what I would feel for the first time I'd see going forward is uh, we always think about diversity and representation at conferences and at events, but it's usually gender and race. Um, we often can go without ever having a 20-something or 30-something or even maybe a teenager, a Gen Z, like high school kids sharing just a bit um, to get a little bit of their perspective. And so I felt like I need to represent. And again, if you remember the millennial days, I really felt like it was pretty negative. It was that participation trophy thing, skinny jeans, it was a lot of more critical. I think it's uh, lightened up with Gen Z. But I had this heart of like, I'm going to go in there and say, you know what, participation trophies, you guys came up with them. We were kids. You could have <laughs> given us <laughs> you could have given us a Capri Sun. And I would have, we wouldn't have known there were trophies instead. We were just children and you guys gave it to us. And then I wish we would have stopped you guys from giving it to us if we knew you were going to hold it over our head. <laughs> All these things that technically were true, but it just was not the right posture, not the right heart. Honestly, Carrie, like the most I've ever felt like a pit in my stomach, like just physical expression of uh, guilt or just don't do that. So the day before I'm praying, and I just felt like God saying, don't try to convict them into caring for the next generation, like inspire them to mm -hmm. excite them, thank them for, um, talk about the positive. And so I just talked a lot about the people that impacted me and others. And basically this common denominator I found in that most impactful young people I knew were usually um, invested in older leaders had like, they had these people behind them. And um, 
I, I mainly said we don't have a next gen problem. I think we really have a discipleship problem. And if we could fix that, um, I think we'll fix whatever is hurting whatever next generation. So that's a long way to say from there, I started getting asked to speak at all these things and I figured out, man, it's great to travel and do all this, but it is um, lonely and it is hard and there's a pressure. And um, I heard that phrase for the first time, leadership is lonely, which I kind of now, I don't like normalizing that phrase personally. I want to say leadership can be lonely, um, but you have to refuse to do leadership alone. You have to refuse to um, do life alone. You have to fight for community because after college, you never really drift towards community. There's a lot of elements from like high school camp or college fraternities, or you're living on in dorms. But after college, like there's not a lot of things that you just drift into community regularly. There's always something going on. You have to, even how many people don't know their neighbors. And so it can be very lonely, but you have to fight for the community. And um, I just wanted it for myself. And by the grace of God, there was a man named Eric Swanson with uh, at the time Leadership Network who said, he kind of sounds, he's got a high voice. He's like, Grant, why don't you, why don't you just do a retreat and get your friends together? And I'm like, all right, I, I guess I've just never done a retreat. And he said, just do it. I'll get you a location. I'll cook the food. If you can just get 12 guys together for free, just get them there. As long as they get there, everything else will be free. And that was the beginning of kind of a, a very soul giving, like life giving bond between these guys. And that was six, seven years ago. Uh, what's so cool, Carrie, is like, Noah Heron was one of the guys. There was 12 guys there. I'd say eight of those guys are some of my closest friends to this day. And Noah uh, was a photographer at that point. <laughs> Three weeks ago, he just planted a church. 500 plus people there here in Nashville. 38 people gave their life to Christ the first day. And I, I know that we are close because, and we're healthier now because we all started getting together um, at a young age and kept fighting for that relationship. Cheyenne, yeah. so, how about you? Yeah, I... My journey looked a little different. So I grew up in a really small town in Northeast Texas, about an hour and a half outside of Dallas, a three stoplight kind of place. Mm -hmm. And so um, I grew up in church, uh, really faithful, but relatively, you know, in a smaller congregation than, especially compared to the big city of Dallas, right down I-30. Um, and so in my own journey, um, I love that you use the word inspired like older leaders feeling inspired and younger leaders inspiring versus trying to convict. Um, first, that's just not our job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that kind of helps keep us in the right place. But um, I felt really inspired by the people um, in my life who were calling out leadership traits in me at a very early age, um, things that I wasn't even fully kind of seeing in myself or, or recognizing, knowing that I have a bit of a different wiring. I have a very shepherd, tender heart, hmm. um, can be uh, can be loud and outspoken, but can also be very soft-spoken at times too. And um, I just had a number of, of people, especially in high school and then into college, who um, kind of just, they said, I, I see something in you. I, I want to help cultivate that. They inspired a lot of that in me, wanting to then do that for others because I had felt like somebody had done it for me. And so when Grant and I met um, a few years later in college, uh, or sorry, right outside of college, um, it was it was really interesting to see how God had put some things in his heart, the things he was starting to kind of bring to light in my own. Um, and then now being married and doing ministry together has been really interesting to see how those two things uh, that at one point felt a little bit conflicting are very complementary 
now. And so um, Grant is just such a visionary at how do I create a structure for a group um, for connection to happen? How do I, what does that look like from almost even like a systems level? You just yeah. have such an eye for that. Mm. And for me, I'm I'm very one-on-one. I'm very like, how is your heart? What's going on with you? What's let's deep dive into kind of your story. And so um it's been really fun to to get to do a bit mm. of this work together. And the nature of retreats and gatherings is, you know, you're you're kind of out away. Ideally, you're in a mountain somewhere and you don't have good cell reception. And so you're you're kind of unplugged from whatever the kind of normal day-to-day life is. Um and you're just a little bit more open than you would maybe be. And we've just seen God do a lot in that space that we could never credit to either one of us. But I think He's, in His kindness and goodness, just chosen to partner with us and do things through us that um, we could never take the credit for. Well, so, I want to put a pin yeah. in marriage and ministry. So hopefully we can come <laughs> back to that later on in the conversation. Uh, there's a lot of people who are listening who are married mm. and in ministry and trying to figure that out. So we'll come back to it. But I want to want both of you to talk about the specific challenges and opportunities you're seeing that next-gen leaders, and let's just broadly say under 40. And that gets into another pet peeve of mine that, you know, when you were 40, when I was 40, you were kind of seen as a midlife leader. Now you're still seen as young. That's a whole problem yeah. that we can get mm-hmm. into later on. But when you're looking at, at under 40 leaders, what are the, the challenges? What are the opportunities? What are the struggles? What are the pain points that you are seeing in this new generation of leaders? Such a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I'm always going to say that one of the biggest challenges is the lack of discipleship. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not a it's not a normal thing in our culture uh, in the church today to to meet Christians who have someone they're discipling. Like, I think if you you asked a hundred Christians, "Hey, who is your disciple?" Uh, even to ask that might be, they might even kind of laugh at the question. Like, uh, we don't even ask people that. You could actually, even not only Christians, just in leadership, I think you could you could get a job um, and go through a whole interview or a series of interviews and no one ever asks you to get a job at a church. Um, who Who's your disciple? Um, it's, it, I so think it should be part of- what do you mean by of, that? Who's your disciple? Because like, discipleship it, is a big thing, right? So what do you mean by who's your disciple? Just like, do you have someone? I I define discipleship, which I don't think uh, I'm got all the answers on it. But I think we should all have a little clarity on, hey, what what does it look like for us? And for me, discipleship looks like uh, the question: Is someone frequently following you because um, you're spiritually a couple steps ahead? And to go a little longer is like, is someone frequently following you, um, and you're helping them become more like Jesus? Uh, and I use the language of frequently and following because I think we often. Um, we often confuse what I would call mentorship with discipleship, like to to meet with someone, which is still very powerful. I've I've had my life changed by by meeting with people um, who have helped me see how to have a healthier marriage, how to be a better leader, how to grow in my intimacy with God. But um, there's more something more robust about like getting to shadow someone. Uh, some of the some of the best leaders of our time definitely shadowed other individuals that were great leaders at their time. And it, it left them with an idea of like, hey, what would this person do when they were in this situation? And they could they know because they actually saw them in those situations. Um, I think it's what Jesus did with the disciples where he leaves 
And the disciples are like literally asking the question, not just what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Um, to me, my favorite like sign that they actually didn't just meet with Jesus once a week for three years, but they followed him regularly, frequently, is that um, they were terrible at prayer. Like the yeah. whole time they were with Jesus, um, they literally, uh, he's like, yo, you guys tried to cast these demons out and you didn't know how to do it because you didn't have prayer. Even in the last days, like they're falling asleep while he's praying, like, I, I, I think it's also encouraging for any of us that ever uh, pour into young people and don't maybe see the fruit right there immediately is even Jesus experienced that in a sense that he never really got to see them as prayer warriors. But if you read, let's say you became a new Christian and you just went straight to Acts and then beyond, they're prayer warriors. Mm -hmm. Like they get beaten and told not to preach the gospel and they don't pray for a hedge of protection. They pray for more boldness. So like there's this prayerfulness about mm. them that they never, Jesus never really saw, even on his last days, even in suffering. Um, but I I like to think, again, maybe some conjecture, but I like to think they would say, hey, we don't have Jesus anymore. Uh, and But we're in a lot of situations that he was in right now. What did he do? Like, oh, he we saw him early in the morning. We had to go find him because he was praying. We saw before the cross and before getting turned over, like he prayed. And so they they responded, they started with, they they went to the source of prayer and relationship with God. And so um, I think that to me is discipleship. You're frequently following someone and you're now becoming more like Christ. So that's interesting. You know, normally when you talk about next generation, and we've had that conversation dozens and dozens of times on this podcast, you go to anxiety, depression, um, purposelessness, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Social media, you're almost jumping to the solution side saying the thing that people don't know is, you know, there's a discipleship crisis, not a next-gen crisis. Okay, I want to come back to that. What other things do you see your generation, slightly older, slightly younger, struggling with? Cheyenne, what do you see? Yeah, I think, and this is something else that I think when we have the next-gen conversation often comes up and we... Uh, we give credence to. So we all know that it's kind of one of the ingredients stirring around in the melting pot, if you will. Uh, but I think the fact that our generation grew up with technology um, and all of a sudden everyone could have a spotlight. Mm -hmm. It, you know, and it, it it's definitely kind of grown beyond that. But before then, you know, it would have been like, oh, I published a book and it was really successful or... I started a church and it, it really began to grow. And and you you almost kind of uh, earn is the wrong word, but the platform, the spotlight almost grew with you, I would imagine. Um, and I'm sure there are exceptions to that. However, for our generation, you could become well-known and thrust into the spotlight virtually overnight um, within a matter of hours. Without really having done or accomplished anything grown anything, exactly. built anything. Talk about that a little bit more. What's at stake yeah. with that? I think if the light gets shown on our hearts uh, before there's been enough cooking going on, it's not been in the oven long enough, it, it can really hurt the recipe. Mm. Um, I think it could really do a lot of damage um, putting something in the spotlight before the internal um, strength and character and integrity is ready to withstand that and ready to um, kind of have a really bright light shown on it. Um, I think, unfortunately, that's been so much of, of a story that we've also grown up 
seeing in the, you know, in some of the leadership fallout that's just broken over all of our hearts. Um, is I, I wonder if sometimes because of uh, the digital space, which I'm a huge fan of, I work at a tech company, in fact, um, uh, I wonder if that has played a role in um, our platform has grown before our characters had a chance to catch up. And when those two things become distantly, um, increasingly distant from one another, the risk very much increases with it. I hear you. And, you know, I was just reading, as I'm sure you were just recently, that more kids today want to be influencers than astronauts, right? That's right. Yeah. And yeah. the whole idea of being a YouTuber or an influencer on TikTok, et cetera. What do you, what's the challenge with that? Because I agree. Like, if your platform outpaces your character, the implosion is not a question of whether it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. Mm, yeah. I, um, on the drive down here to the, the office, the studio, was thinking about this a bit. And um, I was really tempted. I didn't because I was driving, but I was really tempted to pull out my phone and check what my screen time was. Um, and I'm not somebody who I am an introvert. I'm a, a bit introspective as well. And so I'm not uh, a social media guru. I'm um, probably have a, a little bit of a like pushback against it just internally for myself, not because I believe it's a bad thing. It's just for my wiring, it doesn't fully fit. Um, but even then I was like, I, I can't imagine how much time I actually spend on my phone, on these digital platforms, somewhere within the realm of these spotlights. But how much time am I spending, you know, having conversations with Jesus or wiser, older mentors who have, you know, experienced knowledge and wisdom um, where I'm investing the same level, if not more, time in how I'm developing my character and the conversations I'm having with Jesus about what he's seeing and giving space to the Holy Spirit to do some of that convicting work. Um, and it's a real challenge because I, I think uh, the world is so good at being up close in our face, and we can very easily turn into a cycle of reacting versus saying like, oh, God gave me a sense of agency and a sense of free will. I wonder what that could look like for me to begin to be intentional about even just where I'm spending my hours, where I'm spending my time, um, the margin that I'm incorporating in my life for some of those interruptions to happen. Any other issues that you're hearing about in the DMs or in the texts from friends or seeing as you sort of travel the country or build into people? What are some of the other pain points that you're encountering? Some of the language I've kind of come up with and why I kind of go to discipleship is because it's like so many of the things have failed the next gen that it's kind of like we get to come back to offer something that I think they're really looking for. But language I've used is they've often been coddled by their parents uh, and then they end up getting criticized by their bosses. Uh, they've been crippled by their colleges. Uh, many of them don't get jobs remotely close to what they went to school for. Um, and so coddled by their parents, uh, criticized by their bosses, crippled by their colleges. And then um, I wouldn't even say then confused by the culture, mm. uh, that there all these things are making it very difficult for uh, a young leader. And so if you have then parents who are uh, well-meaning, um, who are like, hey, you got to go to college because this is what it does. And it's like, oh, there's 
I would say a better guarantee of you going into debt than getting a job by going to college. Like that's, it's not separating you like it used to. And it, um, I would also say, I would encourage parents to, we got to stop treating college as like experiences and it must be a training ground to launch them. And sometimes I think college, uh, we've allowed even as young people, college to become like, it's more about the experience than the education. And so you just are in a lot of debt and you're not further in your, in your role. Um, and so, yeah, I think that uh, those would be four areas of the cultures changed. Um, the and then lastly, I, a big one too is uh, another C word, I guess. Is my big thing, Carrie? As the last, I mean, I talk a lot about discipleship, but I really care these days, um, especially among young leaders, is comparison. Um, I think that it is the most subtle, sinister problem in um, uh, church leadership and just people in general in the next generation um, that we kind of treat like a bad habit uh, instead of treating as like, no, this is a soul killing, like intimacy stealing. This is this mm -hmm. thing is robbing me of security, identity, intimacy with God. And I, ultimately, um, I would say like an authority. Um, I can't walk with an anointing and authority if I'm struggling so much with comparison, but our mentality towards it is the same way we kind of treat biting our nails, in my opinion, like everyone does it. We all kind of have our thing. And I just think that approach is like killing us, that we're treating it like it's just something to be managed instead of crucified and killed. I know nobody speaks for their generation, but you do connect with a lot of millennials and Gen Z. Um, Cheyenne, we'll start with you. What would you say is wrong with the church from their perspective or your perspective? Mm. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked her. Because <laughs> <laughs> Grant's going to rant. Hang on. No, no. I'm like, ask her the hard question. <laughs> I actually like that phrase, Grant's going to rant. I feel like we should have a t-shirt or something. <laughs> Grant rant. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I I think in an, in an effort to become more broad, the church has become more niche. Mm. I think in an effort to... Um, do all and be all, we've actually maybe made it a little bit harder for people to match expectations with their real experience. Um, you know, we've we've had this conversation a lot being a part of um, a church plant here in Nashville. And I think a bit of our own journey has been coming to terms with what are our own expectations of what our church should be? What should it be adding to our life? How should we be um, adding back and serving into it. What What is the role of church in our life? When we moved to Nashville a little less than three years ago and we were searching for a new church home, you know, we, we almost had to come up with a, a grid in terms of like, okay, what? how do we even choose a, a church home? We both grew up in Dallas and had the, the privilege of being able to go to churches we had really strong relationships with and all of a sudden we're thrown into this new space. And um, and for us, we had to identify, it's like, okay, well, not everything in the journey with Jesus is dependent on our church. And it challenged a little bit of um, maybe some of the uh, the expectations I didn't even know I had um, until we started having conscious, like, real conversations about it. And so I think um, my encouragement to the churches would say, would just be, you know, what is Jesus asking you to do in your city? Like, what what is the... Um, the part of the body that you've been called to your city. Are you a right hand? Are you a left ear? Are you a knee? Are you an elbow? And then how do you do that to the best of your ability? How do you steward the people 
um, who are showing up on Sundays and throughout the week? Like, how are you equipping them to be discipled and to look um, more like Jesus and to do life the way that he did it? Carrie, if I actually can pull out something out of her too, uh, because I want to (laughs) know, but I mean, what would you say were like, were there any, were there any kind of, hey, this is, these are marks of a church we don't want to join. And then of course, we're helping with a church plan. Like, what is it that we're so emphasizing because we're seeing a lack of? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We, we tried not to notice or care as much about the Sunday experience. For us, it was really important um, to be a part of a church community that was embedded within the community of the city. Like that was something that was really important for us. So it was like, what is the Monday through Saturday expression of this church, of this local church? Not just the Sunday that's important. Um, it's not to say one is more than the other. It's it's more of a both and conversation. So if I can just, I want to continue this, but if I just want to clarify a little bit for leaders, uh, particularly church leaders. So what I think I hear you saying, and please correct me, nuance me, what, whatever. It's like there is a lot of um, homogeneity in churches. In other words, we're all trying to be Starbucks. We're all trying to, mm. you know, have that same feeling. And again, drop into any city, a lot of even mainline evangelical churches, same songs, same general kind of message, same kind of vibe. And you're saying, no, I want the independent coffee shop that's like all about that neighborhood and all about that city. Is that kind of what you're saying? Is that there's a little bit too much generic in church these days and not enough specific, local, relational? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I love the analogy of a, of a coffee shop too. Yeah. Because when friends come to town and they're asking for a great coffee shop, I'm probably not going to send them to the Starbucks down the road. I'm going to send them to the little hole-in-the-wall places that we know and love Mm -hmm. because I know the owner and because they have, you know, this special item on the menu that you just have to try. And you're probably not taking them to Applebee's. Not that that there's anything wrong with Applebee's, right? But you're not (laughs) taking them to Applebee's. You're taking them to some local independent place where you're like, oh, Grant and I love this. This is our favorite spot. Yeah, they're they're willing to own their own expression. and also not say like, I have it all figured out. This is the right expression. Sure. Just this is one expression to, to add to the broader landscape around me. Yeah. And do you see that in your colleagues, your, your generation? You see that longing for something a little more unique, a little less generic? I do. Yeah. I think, um, I think one thing, especially Gen Z, is really keen on is challenging the status quo. Uh, they they really value in a beautiful way um, authenticity and individuality and um, fortunately for us that is uh, a lot of what the Bible speaks to as well in addition to community and um, the way that we were you know wired to be uh, in relationship with others but I think there is a really unique opportunity for us to to kind of tease that out a little bit and get creative I think. Um, it can be really easy, I think, almost to take ourselves a little too seriously sometimes. Not that um, it doesn't, not to say it doesn't matter or that there isn't weight attached to that and, and significance, but um, I think also there's there's room uh, for fun. And okay, what what could a local expression of our church in this city be? What is what is the city maybe missing that we feel like Jesus may be inviting us into? How could we play a role in that? 
That's good. Well, I don't know that we're going to get a grant rant or not. Um, that's a new concept <laughs> about two minutes old. But um, yeah, what would you say from your perspective is, quote, wrong with the church today, Grant? Yeah, I mean, again, just the, the discipleship piece missing is definitely something there. Um, I think another one would be, she kind of hinted at it, as we we are helping with that way church with Noah here in Nashville. Mm. And uh, our technical roles or titles, at least, as director of culture, uh, it's basically, hey, we're gonna. We kind of told them we're gonna be your best members that aren't on staff. So I feel like that's great. Is we want to help a lot. We don't want to be on staff, but we do want to help like a lot with, especially building a culture that resonates with uh, what we see missing in the church, maybe, and, and young people are desiring. And I feel like uh, probably number one is what we're really focusing on in Nashville. It's probably the best place to expose the heart of this too. Is mm. uh, community is is probably what you're thinking people want the most. Even uh, Carrie, we're we're doing a conference this year called the Next Gen Summit, and so I'm talking to all these different churches that are coming. And there's definitely a conference fatigue uh, in in the world today. And uh, I've, there's something I keep saying, which is not just like a line I'm using. I I've, I do retreats and done private gatherings for seven years, and um, I, my scorecard is always connection first content second like uh, just because in my opinion the next generation is saturated with content like i don't know a lot of people like i'm looking for more content they're literally unsubscribing from so much content we can't even keep up with how many different channels we can get content from uh like all the different ways to watch movies or watch tv um it used to be like i jokingly would say like it used to be seinfeld or friends and now okay. it's so many, not just good shows, amazing shows. We don't have enough time to watch all the content. And so connection, though, is so much loneliness and so much, uh, even depression, I think, comes from loneliness and just so much uh, desire to, uh, what the language I use is like not to be in a, a forced community, which sometimes small groups can become that, where we found ourselves, uh, we're kind of outing ourselves on this, is we never share this in a public <laughs> setting, but I've also never been interviewed with in my wife um, like this. <laughs> really? So I love that I'm doing it with you. Yeah, I don't, I, not like this, not on a podcast, not to my knowledge. Um, and so basically one of the things I, we found is we would be in small groups and I get, it's hard, especially at large churches where you got to just put people in groups. Like very hard to get into the nitty gritty of how do we connect all these people into the right groups, but you can usually sell just like on a blind date, like within 10 minutes, especially a night. Hey, this is not it. Not gonna um, work. Or man, yeah. hey, there's a chance here. Like I could see that. And and we always are surprised. Sometimes we have uh, the wrong uh, intuition of where that relationship's going to go. But by and large, you can usually tell. And um, I always say to young people, especially in our staff, or we were trying to talk through this is like, I never want our small groups to feel like situations where I would be in, where we're hanging out with our friends. Yeah. And they were like, oh my gosh, it's Thursday night, guys, I lo- I got to go to this thing. It's And they're like, what is it? It's like, it's my community, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I never see them except for this one time of the week. And we literally never try to hang out outside of this. And they barely know me still. But we always just talk about stuff, but we don't talk about our lives. And um, we, that's, again, I, I we all are trying to navigate how to build relationship at a mass scale. But um mm-hmm. All that to say is I, I just think community, and here in Nashville, when I say it exposes that, is 
uh, it's crazy, Carrie, is like when we started doing these interest meetings um, for Way Church, I started a second time we did it. We asked like, hey, how many of you guys moved here in the last two years? And it was legit like 70% of the group. Um, I would still say as now we're a week, months into uh, from interest meetings to gathering, um, my number one question when I'm meeting a new person, which is probably about 30, 40 uh, a week right now that are coming to the church is, hey, how how long have you lived here? Um, And it's usually... I mean, how many times I get two months or less? Uh, it's wow. it's so many new people. Yeah. And so, uh, again, highlighting Eric Swanson again for just mentoring me and discipling me, he would always say this line where he said, people are the most susceptible to the gospel in transition more than in stability. And he kind of talked about, like, just even think about your own testimony. I bet there was some big shift or change within three months of you giving your life to Christ. And um, and people are just more open. And while if you invite someone to church and they've lived there for 15 years or even seven years or five years, uh, and you're like, hey, you should come to this or a small group or this thing our church is doing, they're like, oh, we already got our rhythms, our things. This is what we do Tuesday nights. This is what we do Thursday nights. But if they're new to the city, they're six months in, especially two months in, it's like, we found so many people. How many people I've invited to play spike ball for the kingdom? Like it's so easy. People will be giving their number immediately. Like when they they want to hang out, they're yeah. looking for their community and their rhythms. And so uh, I I just think for right now in a saturated content world, giving connection, deep connection, sincere connection, uh, the people who I do life with and I partner with and I build things with who can just call me. They don't have to say, hey, can I set up a meeting? They just call. Our people I've had bonding late night experiences with where we hang out, we've done things. It's like, we. I'm always thinking, how can I create core memories among these people? Because um, if I've had core memories with them, then when things get hard or when I see you're messing up, I'm just going to call. I, I know we had a connection. I know that we're, we have a relationship. But if not, when things go bad, and we see this a lot, it's like, no, no one knows you. Um, and, and which only makes it easier for you to fall into temptation. Yeah, you know, shout out to Kevin Queen from a neighboring church, but I was with Kevin and his team in March. It was just in Nashville. And, you know, he said something that I never thought of in all these years in ministry is, you know, it's usually new to Crosspoint or new to Way Church, right? Well, in a church plant, everybody's new. But, you know, with an existing church, that's a really good strategy. But they started a new to Nashville gathering. Mm-hmm. He said, because there's so many people in, and I'm like, well, of yep. course, because you don't know anybody, you don't know where it's going. I want to talk about community and younger leaders. So I have a small group I'm really excited about, all people at very similar stage. And like last night, we had dinner at our place. We've expanded our group from two hours to three hours, and wow. I got to be the That's time cool. cop. It's like, all right, (laughs) some people have to get home. We got to keep going. And we were all laughing last night that we've all been part of groups or communities where it's like, all right, look at question three. Who would like to read question three, right? And then you're like, oh, can we do this? Can we do this in an hour? Like, we don't need, and we're like, we would do six hours if we had time. And what I'm, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing group. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm sensing your generation doesn't have time for, would someone read question three? And uh, okay, can we get a different translation? I mean, I'm just talking about the awkwardness of small yeah. groups. Like when, whenever we get together, you guys cut to the, the chase fast. Is that just you? Or do you think that's a hunger that you're seeing in the people around you as well? That's a good question. 
I think I know. I think it's probably multi generational. I think people like being asked good questions for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to share on just even this. I mean, this so resonates with us right now. I want to know. So, yeah, are you guys meeting six to nine, or when no, you we're all, meeting how, four to seven? It's really complicated. One couple okay. comes in an hour and a half. We're all super busy. We're all on airplanes. Like one of the couples missed it last night. They were in Italy. Uh, next time we have Canadian Thanksgiving. And then, you know, one one's a medical doctor who was on a fellowship in Boston, but it went to virtual so he could make it. So like literally pulling all of us together has been almost impossible and we almost gave up. And then we came up with four to seven and we knew two hours, but in, when we met last year, it was like five hours and we're like, okay, this is not sustainable. Like Mom. we all have lives and everything, but there's such a hunger for authentic community. It's just yeah. four couples and- you know, uh, it's, 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 it's been so life-giving. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's three hours. Uh, we gather, we check in for an hour. We have a quick dinner. We were doing, they're all good cooks. So we were doing gourmet mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, all right, stop trying to wow people. We literally ordered pizza. <laughs> we brought in boxes of pizza and that's what we served last night. And we ate outside and then we had about an hour discussion around mm-hmm. what lie is at the center of your life. Like what lie do you believe that, isn't true and so stuff good. popped Dude, like yes man that's it so was good great right. that you guys started like that too i just, I just want to say this and let try and share our, our what we're doing and it sounds like god might be doing something for leaders like this is mm. you know there's a quote for connection and that core memory thing and mm-hmm. uh that i use a lot it's such a random quote for it but you know abraham lincoln has this quote where he, there's somewhere he says something like if i had six hours to cut down a tree um, I would use four of those hours sharpening my axe. Mm-hmm. And and when I think about, hey, if I get these people for six hours, if you will, or for two hours, but I'm going to use 60% of that time to build the bond and connection so I could use the last couple uh, percentage so they can actually have meaningful conversation that, that that's actually going to matter. And the fact that you guys, it's two hours in before you guys even start talking about things. But I bet that last hour is like, it's so easy. It's so real. Oh, it's so it memorable. Was so it's so intense. powerful. And I, you know, I'm one of the group leaders. My wife and I lead it. Tony and I lead it. And, you know, I'm like, all right, let's do a check-in and I'll go first. Like there's no veneer. There's no fake church face here. I had a really crappy day. And I was upset about this and lacking margin. And I know I wrote a book on it, but was just, and I went into a lot more detail than that. But like, I'm like, please don't bring your game face. Please bring your real face. Yeah. And like, oh, the, the, I think we're, I'm hungering for that. How does that go with the next generation? (laughs) It's really good. I, it's interesting for us, um, because we have what I would call close friends and we also have close up friends. And so because of um, just how much we get to to do nationwide with friends across the nation, we have a, a small group, also four couples. So maybe that's the magic number here. I don't know. Um, but we have a, a small group of us <laughs> who... Uh, <laughs> These guys, I want to... I'm a big like, let's get some more people. They would like... They like literally like we can't do more than eight i'm like oh i'm like yeah no more than eight i'm like a (laughs) limited land i'm I'm there i'm with you cheyenne (laughs) we we had an intense discussion and debate about can we do 10 there's like no eight it's just once it passes eight it's it's anxiety i'm like how it's two more people i'm like well it depends what you want the math maths you end up, you know, you know. I read this once, but I can't you can't believe, believe everything. Over two people, two yeah, we're people. arguing about two people right now. It matters. But it, okay, you know why I think it matters? 
If you have more than eight people at a table, you end up with two conversations. Yeah, I guess you that. ever think okay. about yeah. that? That's good. That's you end good. up with two conversations because one end can't really hear the other. And mm-hmm. then you just end up with two different groups. That's true in leadership for an elder board. I never had more than five elders when I was mm-hmm. leading Conexus because then you end up with factions. And if you have five really sharp people, you're okay. So I find generally four couples is the max where you can have one conversation. I don't know. Yeah. That's me. And then if you have a couple that can't make it, like three is still, right. three, know, is three couples is still yeah. a good solid number. So thank you, Carrie, for- Oh, you're um, welcome. You're welcome. So this podcast over, Grant Cheyenne's right. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying that's my preference. I'm not saying she's right. I'm just saying that's my preference. It's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. But then if you want to do a party or spike baller, that's different. Like yeah. Had lots yeah. Then of invite like some it. people in. Yeah, that's good. But if you want Very intimacy, true. smaller, too small, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. But, true. True. Yeah. There's something about six to eight that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've, we've got a group of eight of us mm-hmm. um, who every year we get together. We see each other all throughout the year, fortunately, because um, even though we all live in different states and different parts of the country, um, we're involved in a lot of similar things. And so we get together every new year. We actually stole this idea from Andy Crouch. So shout out to our friend. Um, but uh, we get together every new year and we aim to spend three, if we can manage it, four full days all together. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of kind of an agenda, but it's really just time in person, playing games, resting, checking in, having side conversations, having group conversations, um, going and exploring whatever city we're kind of in. We we try to pick a different city every time. And, um, and for us, that has brought such a level of just stability. People yeah. who, they are that pick up the phone and call them if something comes up, whether it's you know, hey, this this just hit the fan. Like, what do I, what's your insight? What's your perspective? Like, sometimes it's family stuff. Sometimes it's work stuff. Sometimes it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this aspect of my health or whatever it is. Um, it's just really great to have people who who know you, who know you deeply. Um, so I would say those are our, our really close friends, but we also have close up friends. And I would say that's like our regular, we meet every week, um, also for couples, um, small group here in Nashville. And they were friends who, when we moved to the city, um, we actually formed a small group before we officially joined a church. <laughs> there you go. And we, we said, we're just going to handpick people. We want friends who are kind of in our life stage, who are, you know, kind of wired similarly, but different. We want different perspectives. We want different personalities um, kind of speaking into our lives. But we need people who are close up also. And yeah, we go deep, but um, I would say just having people who understand what life in Nashville looks like, who are regularly just kind of checking in on the day-to-day Monday and like, what happened this week? And, um, you know, how's, how's your heart towards your local church? We all attend different churches. And so that's always a, a fun conversation too, but close yeah. and close up friends have been lifesavers in different ways. Um, for us. One thing I'll add to that really stood out, especially when we first did this, was um, as newlyweds at that time, this was uh, nearly a little less than three years ago, was um, I never accounted for this as a young single person, is how important um, 
couples are where both of you guys like both of them. Um, oh, yes. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> like, so real. Um, I had a lot of friends where I was like, I love him. And she would even love him. But I was like, but I don't know if I really connect with her. And she had the same. Where I was like, I just, I mean, he's a cool guy. He's a nice guy. I would start all saying the stuff that was like, yeah, good, good guy. It's like, but do you want to hang out with him? No, 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 I don't want to. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was finding who is like, we just all click. And if you get eight people who click across the board, um, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of magic that can happen there. Um, Andy shared uh, to some of our young leaders and yeah, they kind of instigated a text group right there. But he, he actually called this group uh, the eulogist. Mm-hmm. Um, they call themselves the eulogist. Yeah. yeah Andy Crouch, yeah. where he said he, uh, years ago, he just formed uh, kind of in light of all the leaders falling. He's like, let's, let's get together regularly throughout the, or once a year and maybe uh, throughout the year here and there. We, we, um, but we want to be so close to each other that we would be the ones doing each other's funeral um, because we have that kind of depth of commitment to each other. And uh, that inspired us several years to go. And uh, that when I said I'm outing myself is like, I'm a big believer and I don't know if it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's common is I think if you can, you should form your own small group. Now, don't make it so easy. It's just to hang out. Like, but uh there's there's when you're new to town and you need a small group and they can help you but i just think there should be different nets but if you can find a community where it's like we already have some some chemistry here i think the challenge is not all of us go to the same church and mm-hmm. a kingdom mindset i think that's fine but i i can get how we're, well we're you guys are at this church and this church and this church and whose leadership is overseeing it so i can i can see that getting difficult i guess but it's been the most life-giving um small groups I've ever been in since we started doing that about five years ago, really. I love the distinction between close and close up because the problem is you may have your best friend who lives across the country. You see her or him twice a year, but you have nobody close up in your life who knows how it went on Tuesday at three o'clock, right? right. So that's different. The other thing you said, Grant, I, I think there might be something there. Um I have always, usually, been very intentional about who's in my small group, in part because I want it to work. And Mm. if you're going to debrief and you're in leadership, you know, you can't really unload that on, like, what function is your group serving? And so I've been very careful to cultivate small groups where I always like to have somebody who's a little bit on the fence spiritually in the group. But I also want it to be a safe enough place relationally that if I'm having a bad day, I can say it and you don't have to keep some kind of veneer up or whatever. But I wonder if that's something that that is unique to leaders because I can also see yeah. if you're not in leadership and not plugged into the kingdom the way you are or the way I am, but it's just like, I love Jesus and I want to go to a church or I'm curious about Jesus and want to go to a church, how that sort of big, this is how we connect people in groups thing could work. But as you get more established and maybe in leadership, if you really want to go deep, yeah, because trust proceeds at the uh, level of the least trusting person in the room. Mm. So think about this. That's right good. now, we're 45 minutes into this conversation. If we introduced a complete stranger that I don't know and you don't know, either of you know, in this conversation, <laughs> we'd be right, it would be so weird. And we're right back to like, oh, what's your name? Okay, what are you yeah, doing here? We're having a really so good chat yeah. right now about community and the future of the church. And got to recalibrate to zero. And I think leaders are lonely and doesn't have to be, but I wonder if that's part of it because without community, like I'm, I'm dead. I know Mm. for me personally, and you're, you're, I'm seeing that in the next gen. So when we, I think we had lunch, maybe it was in Dallas, Fort Worth. Was it then? 
Yeah. We sat down and we came up with this idea of like this marriage retreat. And you were just yeah. so open and honest about where you were, where a lot of your friends were. And I hope you're talking to my wife about that soon. So I'm hoping that can happen in 2024. Talk about mm. being married and next gen. What's what's the experience yeah. of a lot of young couples you know? What has that been like? You want me to start? Do you want to go? I can do it. I yeah, can give, jump in if you give have some thoughts. and then you jump on. Is, yeah. I know, I mean, we talked about it a lot because like I said, things I didn't account for that I just didn't realize. I, I'd focused so much on being a leader uh, that then I realized, man, there's there's a difference in marriage, even in leadership. And I think, Carrie, remember, there's a, a couple of things I was telling you, and I would even say there's a difference in being a leader in the next generation of, because mm-hmm. uh, culture's kind of changed and, and the church has kind of changed a bit in how we see, uh, even like, let's say women in leadership, that's also going to change how we respond to uh, maybe the norms of what our parents or grandparents experience in, in marriage. And so uh, some of the new... I don't want to call them challenges. I would just say they are th- things, realities we got to at least acknowledge and and have a plan for is if you're getting married today, one, counseling is a big one, is yeah. uh, I felt like counseling um, was so recommended the year before getting married. It's like go into marriage strong with some counseling, premarital counseling. Yeah. Everyone recommended it. And I felt like counseling wasn't highly recommended to that degree until pre-divorce so it was like pre-marriage or it's <laughs> like oh you guys are on the brink of divorce you're starting talking about That's divorce funny. no okay now you guys need to get counseling again i was like uh-huh. why didn't we do some like post-marriage uh counseling like the year i think the year how many people talk about how hard the first year is mm-hmm. i'm so shocked there's not equally as much like hey make sure that counselor also then walks with you just for the first year like even maybe budget for that just as much as you budget for the wedding maybe more importantly is budget for yeah. a counselor the first There's year of marriage if everyone preach. keeps mm. saying that uh that it's the hardest one of the hardest years and then have a plan for that um but i that's where that group in nashville really helped a lot is almost of the eight uh, the original group like I think almost everyone had been married in the last two years. And so we all, during COVID too, so like we all had mostly COVID weddings. And um, so it was very helpful. Such It was so helpful to talk to others that were navigating marriage in that time. Um, the second thing I would say is... Um, just it's it's not a, we at least a lot of my friends and the people we were talking about were um, maybe two individuals who had uh, different types of callings um, though they did life uh, together similar to you and Tony it's like hey well you both have books and therefore you might both have travel schedules and both might be speaking at two different major conferences at the same day and just how to talk about that let alone if you have kids or babies or babysitters and um, it's just not as much, or I'm just seeing more, thank God, like, uh, I think it's a great thing is we're seeing where it was, hey, the wife is also going out. She's not just like, all right, you go and I'll be back here waiting on you. It was going out or we have not seen as much and we're only going to see more where um, I think of like Jenny Allen and Zach Allen, um, who I remember talking to her, her and her husband around that time we were talking, Carrie, and her husband's line has just always stuck with me of he was doing amazing he was a church pastor. He was doing all this stuff and kind of stepped down a bit to help uh, support Jenny. And he, the line he said is, I chose to become a dream-releasing husband. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I think of uh, Hannah Barnett, who's one of the eight, mm-hmm. and I know is a mutual friend of ours, amazing young female leader, and Aaron, her amazing husband, who's yeah. really got behind Gen D, her organization, and uh, Cheyenne's uh, doing some amazing things right now that it's finding out like how, okay, is this is maybe these couple months is you and this couple months is us. And I know we don't have the answers. I just know, man, that's a new challenge that I don't think there's a lot of insight on how to navigate that. Um, so those are two big ones is uh, first year of counseling and uh, navigating when you dual have two careers. Yeah, in, dual uh, calling, dual career. Yeah. yeah, and that's been a, a factor. I think that's one of the reasons we're having this conversation in our marriage. I mean, my wife and I met in law school. She was also a pharmacist. So, I mean, wow. when she worked, she made more money than I did for years in ministry. And it was really helpful to put bread on the table, you know, with very small churches and the whole deal. And I had to learn very on, or, you know, I saw, I don't know that I had to learn it, but I saw very early on, it's like, we have two real legitimate callings here in this house. Mm -hmm. Not just mine and your job is to support me. And that might've been a little bit out there back in the day, but I'm really glad to see it in the next gen where, and I remember having conversations with Tony saying, prayerfully, who should have the dominant career? Because we didn't think we could both go full guns, Mm. 50, 60 hours a week, right? And stay married and stay happy and stay alive and all that. And prayerfully, (laughs) she decided that, you know, if you're called to ministry, I will play the support role. But that was a negotiated thing. It wasn't an assumption. Mm. And I mean, she's super sharp. One of my great joys this summer was, uh, she had an event. I wasn't busy. So I went and carried her bags and sat there in the front row cheering her on. That was great. That was fantastic. I had no role. It was the best. Yeah. It is cool, yeah. So yeah. nice. How do, how do you I see that, that, Cheyenne? Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting because so much of what we learn in life, right, is what we've seen people do before us. And we either are trying to emulate that or we're trying to do, you know, something very the different opposite. from that. Mm-hmm. Right, but... Regardless, we still kind of have this picture of what it could look like and how it kind of plays itself out, not just on paper, but like in, you know, negotiating like, okay, who's who's picking up the kids today? Or, um, you know, well, I, I've got this travel, you've got that travel. They've asked us to both be there. Which one, which one, you know, quote unquote wins out. And I love what you highlighted there, Carrie, because it really is, it's a, it's a, for us, I think what we're, we're figuring out now is it is a negotiation and each oh, yeah. opportunity is a, is a new conversation. And um, I think early on, especially in, in marriage, there was just so many things that, you know, it was like, I've been a Christian since I was four years old and I've known Jesus for a long time. And so like, you're so lucky to get me, you know, kind of <laughs> like if I'm being completely honest, like there was a little bit of like pride built up in my mind. Then we get married and all this stuff starts coming out of me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was there. Uh-huh. And so I think it's it's been a gift, truly, it's been a really hard gift to receive, but a, a pure and invaluable gift nonetheless of like the, some of the humility, I think that just comes in marriage. And the more that you see the Lord doing in and through your spouse the more you're just like, oh, this this marriage, this, this, whatever it is, this life, this, this schedule, this, you know, winning, whatever it is, like, this isn't actually about me. Like, I wonder, like, what what could Jesus be wanting to do in the life of my spouse? Like, I have a mentor, Dr. Alicia Britt Shelley, who we just love and adore. She just opens her mouth, and I swear wisdom just falls out of it. Like, she's 
uh, just so wise and, and so kind and and so close to Jesus. And um, she she asked us one time. She said, "I," she's like, "I just wonder if each of you spent maybe five minutes asking Jesus what the conversation in heaven over your spouse is right now." <laughs> and I just kind of. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that was a really great thought, and and I think it's it's um, yeah, just trying to lean more into that, leaning more into uh, what does life look like together, but also understanding like the the verse around two becoming one is true, and I think can outside of you know appropriate kind of context and whatnot uh, can be misleading because all of a sudden it's like, well, if my life is my spouse's life, then like. Why did God make me unique? And where is my calling fit in that? And so um, the way I've, I've kind of begun thinking about it, for better or worse, is uh, you have your calling, I have my calling, and then we share one. And what does that look like? Like, what does what kind of nuance does that create in the conversation? And how do we make room for all three of these, knowing that there's going to be overlap, knowing that there's going to be um, seasons where it's like, okay, it's not going to be an equal 50-50 all the time. Like that's, that's not always realistic. That's not part of this dance that we're in in life. Like we, we talked about dancing in terms of juggling, you know, margin in our life and and all the things that are just, that come with different seasons. But I think, I think figuring that out um, when you're both kind of unique leaders in your own rights in marriage is really important too, is what does the dance look like? And it definitely requires a, a deep level of humility that I know I'm, I'm being humbled with, so... Yeah. Carrie, I mean, if you share some wisdom on us, what what is there anything y'all found as when did Tony's book come out? It was uh, about two like years, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty one. Okay, yeah. Before okay. you spoil, yeah. great book. Is yeah. there any finding in the so last bad. two years that you're like, all right, this? Because uh, would that be where she started traveling pretty big in the last, let's say, five years? Yeah, right? I mean, she's doing quite a bit of traveling and everything, and I think because she was so thoughtful with me back when we first got married and kind of went through things because I realized, wow, I've married somebody who's whip smart, um, smarter than me. And she was so deferential to me that it was easy for me to be supportive and deferential to her. And of course, you know, she did practice law for a number of years, et cetera. And, you know, not that I always get that right, but it was one of those things where I think if I, okay, if I, if I was really honest, there's a part of me that says, oh, that's her thing and I don't need to go. And then when she had an event in Dallas and I was actually off, it was my month off. And part of me is like, well, off means off. So I don't really <laughs> want to do a work trip. But then I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to just be her companion and her support. Because often when she does have an event, like she was out last week on the West Coast talking to a business leader's breakfast, I had stuff I had to do here. I had to do some Mm -hmm. podcast interviews. I had to do other stuff. So I legit couldn't go. And she totally understood that. Um, But when I have the opportunity, it's not like, oh, that's her thing. Go have fun. Like she's come to support me so many times. I have to go out and support her. And mm. so it's a reminder to me as a man to do that. That's really good, Carrie. The other thing I love about your generation, there's so many different things, but like, you know, I'm barely uh, Gen X, almost a boomer. And uh, so technically born in 65. So technically I'm Gen X, but I did not want to spend time with older leaders um, when I was young. And what I find in your generation, we have friends who are like, 
30, 20 years younger than us. And they really genuinely value the wisdom of older friends, older leaders. Why do you think that is in your generation? Because it's all over the place. Why do you think that's the case? I mean, I think because there's so much foundational uh, historic areas of growth or learning that just, again, they are not, they are failing the next generation. So if you're not staying at a job for a long time or getting a mm-hmm. boss that really is like, I'm committed to you being here for a long term and we're going to develop you. It's not, I I used to in the early days when talking about millennials, they would always say, why do you think young people aren't as, uh, why do you think they're not as loyal to their company as we used to be in our generation? And I started asking, do you think companies are as, as loyal to the employees <laughs> as they used to be in your generation? Fair, like, fair. it's just not the same system. The If you're not, uh, if you go to learn from teachers and, and professors and then you you end up graduating, like work. So many friends work at Starbucks or work at a job. It's like I can't believe I majored in this and I'm working in this. Um, I. It's so interesting to me how many unbelieving young people are seeking and would totally be open to having mentors in their life. Uh, I. That's where I. I often think that the church has such an advantage is our yeah. founder. Its last words, which I think should be our first priority, is go and make disciples. Is like we. We that's our product. It's not, in my opinion, church services. It's it's disciples. We make disciples, um, and if we do that well, ironically, the world is looking for it um, a lot. And I did. I kind of on this too. I if I can ask you another question, mm-hmm. Carrie, because if there's one thing that you stand out for is the the reverse of this to me. Like I will write one day, and with your permission, I'll add a story with you in it. Is I don't think there's, unfortunately, for how many young people want to learn from the older generation, I haven't found as much of a a reverse of that, where it's like, I'm older and I'm trying to figure out next gen, because so many are, it's got to be top five conversations in the church today, is how do we reach the next generation, or why are they leaving? You, the first time I met you, uh, were so curious Mm -hmm. about learning from me, and I've never told you this, but we had we spoke at an event, and then uh, we both had a flight around the same time. It was in Atlanta, and you, we found out we were both going to the airport. So you're like, you want to just ride with me instead of catching an Uber? So of course, I'm thinking I'm with you. I'm going to ask you so many questions, and I love asking questions. So, but you didn't let me ask almost any questions. <laughs> like at all, I legit have a 30, 40 minute drive. You asked all the questions, and you were so sincerely curious and and asking, what do you think on this and the next gen? And I'm seeing this. What, what's your perspective? I've only had like a handful. Of legit five or less people that were like, I want to ask them because I so respect them. And they so flipped it on me and were so curious. And I have such immense honor for that. And But it made me think as even as a millennial at that time, now Gen Z over the last couple of years, of course, is so next gen as it helps me think, man, I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, you're the new next gen person. I'm challenged by you. It's more like, yo, okay, it's time for me to learn, learn from you. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Yeah. So yeah. Where did that come from for you? Yeah, you know, it wasn't really a decision. And I'm glad that was me on a good day because otherwise I just sort of, you know, and I remember that. I hope that's my posture with the next generation with people I meet. Um, It is a conviction. I came out of my summer vacation this year kind of going, I want to be less of a teacher, more of a student. But I also I also have a profound understanding of the passage of time. I have a degree in history. I'm reading history right now. And you just realize that, you know, you were the young leader and now you're not the young leader moving into mm-hmm. sort of the sage years or whatever you want to call them. And so many of my assumptions from songs, movie references, the next generation doesn't even get. 
And I didn't grow up as a digital native. You did, and everybody younger than you did. And so I think I have, if I want to keep leading with relevance and intelligence into the next generation, I just have so much to learn and so much I don't know. And yeah, I can offer a little bit of wisdom here, a little bit of help there. But I really think it comes from a posture of realizing my limits. And some of that is a limited perspective too. That's true of race. That's true socioeconomically. That's true culturally. Um, And so I really want to be a student as I get older. And I find... I find like cynicism and knowledge are very closely related. So the more you know, the more cynical you become. And a lot of people my age get very cynical very fast. And then they get upset because the next generation's not coming to me to ask me questions. And, you know, I have all this wisdom. It's like, well, maybe if you'd be a student and build a relationship with them, people would take an interest in you. Um, That might happen. So I don't know. All that is going on in my head as I think about that. But I think you're right. The natural posture is to go, <clears throat> well, I'm the expert now. So, mm. you know, you're lucky to have some time with me, but I'm, I just want to be a student of life and really curious. And, and I love younger leaders. Like you bring in energy and vitality to things. I think I'm pretty energetic for my stage, but like you guys bring energy and ideas and perspectives. And here's a pet peeve of mine. You asked me pet peeves. Yeah. My pet peeve is when I was 23, people gave me a stupid amount of responsibility. When I was 30, Mm. they entrusted me with a church. Like they gave me ridiculous amounts of authority and responsibility. And I think my generation and older, we kind of look at you if you're under 40 and go, oh, they're still kids. Like, do you find that we're holding onto the keys a little bit too long? It's a good question. Um, So as you know, Carrie, I I work for a tech company that's Incredible. It's based out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, serves the church, but it's not. It's not a, a ministry or a church itself. Um, and I, in my experience there, I've been given so much more trust and responsibility than I had earned. Um, right. And I think it's really interesting knowing it's at a kind of tech company, very forward thinking, very. Um, futuristic, like how do we how do we help create a system that supports the church and the church can can really come together around this? So it's constantly kind of asking these big questions, and I will say to to kind of juxtapose juxtaposition my experience there versus in church. Um, I mean, I've I've been given responsibilities to lead teams and to inform product decisions and. To, to make design choices and user experience things like my degrees in psychology, sociology, and counseling. Like I... Yeah, and I think we can name <laughs> it. I mean, Glue is no stranger to this podcast and Scott They're Beck fantastic. and Brad Hill. They're yes. amazing. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but it is a young team. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott, with all of his genius, you know, scaling Blockbuster and lots of other national chains and everything like that, yeah. probably understands that intuitively. But yes. in the church, that's not always everyone's experience. That's right. Yeah. And I think there can be so much um, partnership and collaboration. And I love that you're focusing on just taking a learner's posture um, in that. Is I would say I've, I've, that has not you know, been my experience leaning in with, with churches or ministries necessarily um, has been that kind of same posture it is. Um, I would I would challenge us. I would encourage us to really focus on you know kind of the the abundance mentality versus any sort of scarcity mentality. Whether that's around 
um, power position or, you know, influence, whatever that may be, um, or even just disconnection. I think Mm -hmm. there can be, you know, we we talked earlier about expectations. Um, There can be some assumptions and some expectations that may or may not even be real uh, in our, you know, kind of local context as we're, we're trying to figure out how to navigate things that I would say I've, I've had a really great experience work-wise with, even though I'm under 40, um, I just turned 30 this mm-hmm. past year. And so everything's well, going to change. Everything's going to change. So <laughs> even, well, I guess 10 more years, what you're saying potentially. Yeah. So even leading up to all that, you know, I was given immense trust um, and somebody believed in me when I was in my, my twenties. Yeah. And that's so, amazing. And that's how it should be. I mean, people were changing the world as teenagers in history. If you look at it, John Stuart Mill, the philosopher, had mastered Greek and Latin, I think, by the age of three. It's crazy. And we're like, lucky you were teaching alphabet. I'm not saying you should teach your kids Greek and Latin, but I'm just saying if you compare yourself to a couple hundred years ago, uh, people were entrusted with so much at a very young age. What what do you think about that, Grant? Like, Do you feel that the next generation is empowered enough or we've got room to grow in that as church leaders? Yeah, I think it's a huge conversation. I, I've never really got to talk uh, to you about it, or I really have many um, older leaders kind of bring it up, but I do think this is a bigger problem than we realize it, is that uh, we are slower to uh, hand over the baton in the church space. And I, th- I really even thinking through it and hearing her talk about glue in the tech world, it might even be in this specific industry, because I think of... DC and it's such a young mm. empowerment space. I think of yeah. uh, movies, especially mm-hmm. music. Um, it's a young. I remember hearing Kanye West interviewed once. He's like, they were asking, "Why are you moving to fashion?" Because at the time he wasn't successful yet. It was really crazy. He was gonna. You're so good at this. Why would you go to fashion? And Sway was asking him this, and he's like, "It's a young man's game." He's like, "It's a young man's game," is what he kept saying. He's like, "Tell me one artist that's over fifty who's breakout artist of the year." And I had never thought of that. He's like, tell me oh, yeah. anyone who is older. He's like, it's always right. someone new. He's like, mm. got to be thinking ahead of what's next. And uh, and I, I wonder how much that is kind of hurting the church to be like, it, I do think there's a correlation to us always asking questions about the next gen. And then you look at conferences today and you're like, there's no next gen voices. Uh, oh, like I know. We, don't, I, we we're talk not raising, about that. In events yeah. I plan, I'm like, okay, yeah, diversity, but age diversity too. Yeah. It's like, well, what are these people doing? It's like, oh, yeah. okay. all right, let's not talk that way. No, I hear you. And, and you know, music is is young. Influencers are young. Yeah, um, yeah. And incredible. There's this band I follow on TikTok, uh, Burn the Jukebox. I mean, these guys are just, okay. I don't know if you found them, but they're amazing. They've got to be teenagers. Mm-hmm. And they're just so musically gifted and fluid and we have certain roles for them, but it's sort of like when you get into the upward leadership echelon, you know, it's like, well, you're just lucky to have a seat at the table, not a voice, yeah. just a seat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not good. Yeah. 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 When I was 24, I used to always say this line. I said something like, uh, and it's been a long time. And I, I said, if you were to join the military at 18 years old, they would entrust you in another country with a lethal weapon or maybe even a tank or a jet. Oh, yeah. uh, if you were to join a nonprofit in another country, they might enjoy like inter- they didn't trust you with like the entire like youth program or maybe the whole dang thing over there. But if you were to join a church at 18 or 19 years old, they'll be like, do you want to be either on the parking team or on the, <laughs> well, on trust the you with a traffic cone? Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. in on this one day for a couple hours. And uh, I always say the, the next generation is not leaving because, uh, 
<laughs> they're not leaving because they've been asked to. Uh, sorry, <laughs> go, sorry, go, go, go. I know, <laughs> I know. I I just always feel like the next generation they're not leaving because they get asked to do too much, but because they're getting asked mm. to do too little. Uh huh. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Inside yeah. joke, but anyway, um, okay. Let's talk about the discipleship crisis because a lot of people think, well, we have Bible studies, we have small groups. I teach expository teaching. Um, that's not what you're talking about. What are you talking about? You're talking about with discipleship? Yeah. Yeah. If it's not just Bible studies or, uh, you know, because most churches would say, I think we're checking the box on that. But I think yeah. you can also look at how politicized and tribalized the church got, not only in the mid-2010s with elections, but the way we kind of imploded with COVID. It's like, oh, we have a discipleship mm -hmm. problem. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, and the answer maybe isn't more Bible studies. What what is it? Yeah, I think it is. I think one you got to start with is building a culture of discipleship where it's not just something the staff needs to take on. I I'm the last person that wants to say, hey, one more thing that church staff need to do to like fix everything. Um, I think that the people, the congregation, us as the body, the church, uh, need to take step up. What it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple, not just a, a believer. Um, right now, I think like the scorecard often is go to church regularly, give to the church, join a small group, and and maybe serve those four things. And and every single one of those are very important, have a role. Uh, I would I want to add to the scorecard, not take anything away. Um, I I kind of liken it to a pulse. Uh, you you need to have a pulse. Those things are all things of a pulse. Like, uh, you, but you can have a pulse and be eating really unhealthy. And so there's mm. some other parts of the scorecard that it's like. But are you pouring into someone? Does does someone know who you are? Like, and and that you, sorry, not does someone know who you are, but like, do, could you go and ask some of your friends? Like, hey, do you have someone that you are pouring into? Because I'd love for Christians to be marked by like those are the people that just pour into the next gen. Like they are really good at raising them up. They're really good at uh, pouring into them. They're just, I always want to hire a young Christian because they're just really hard workers. They always, they ask questions. They have relationships with older people. They know how to interact with older people. Um, they're not always on their phones. They take notes. They just all these different marks of young people because it's just so in the ethos of Christians is we are the people that pour into the next gen and elevate their character, their calling, their uh, maturity. And uh, I would just quickly say how you know this isn't uh, kind of happening right now is um, if you were to put, I always say this test is like, if you were to take, let's say, 50 people from your church, put them in 50 different rooms, and some of those 50 are the church staff, some of those 50 are the elders or deacons or elder leadership, some of those are key volunteers, and some of those are just part of the congregation, but they're all involved in some form or fashion, and you ask them, what is the discipleship strategy at our church? It's pretty surprising how many people would have so many different answers. Mm -hmm. And what's even more surprising is I think there's a lot of churches that have the mission statement on their walls is something like, we exist to glorify God by making disciples in Dallas or Nashville or Denver or whatever. But it's literally making disciples. That's the the thing we're doing. But you ask them, well, how are we doing it? What's the strategy to do it? And there's not a clarity on that. And so um, my my issue as a young leader who was always asking like, hey, what's the discipleship strategy here? No, nine out of 10, they may not have an answer. And if they did, they would say, oh, well, we got small groups for that. 
Uh, but then I would then say the second question is then what's the success rate of discipleship relationships through small groups? And there was usually no even info on that or even, no uh, metric, uh, yeah, yeah there's no metric at all. So that's the second part is like build a culture within the church. And then the second part I think is build a measurement. So you, so we know, and it doesn't have to be, we all as the Christendom have the same metric, but your people are clear on what your metric is for discipleship. Cause I promise once you measure it, it's going to show that it matters and they're going to move towards it. But right now um, the, the word that's most associated with discipleship in my experience is the word organic. Uh, it's usually if I would ask, they'd say, Oh, well we have more of an organic strategy. We're doing small groups. And I'm like, yo, hipsters, millennials, we are the ones that created the organic thing. I'm telling you, organic <laughs> is the opposite of what you want associated with discipleship. Organic means like these fruits have not been touched. They have not been tampered with. They have not been altered. They are organic. And that's not the disciples story. The, if you look at Jesus and the disciples, they definitely were tampered with. They definitely were altered. They were impacted. The trajectory of their life was changed because of intervention. And so you just, I don't think you can do organic discipleship. Or I don't know why we do organic discipleship when Jesus did such strategic discipleship. And so just quickly, I'll say, Carrie, is everything else in the Great Commission is strategic. Um, we do, Jesus called us to like four things, to go, to make disciples, to teach, and to baptize. Um, those are the four calls to action. And every other one we do strategically. We, like, we don't do organic missions. We don't just send our people and say, just figure out what to do. There's literally books about that. When helping hurts is when you do just mm -hmm. organic missions. Uh, uh, you work with vetted partners that know what they're doing, that are indigenous to that area, that know what the actual need is, and and then you help. Uh, no one I know, and no matter what, what denomination, even the ones that are like very free spirit, they do not do organic preaching on Sunday. They're not like, who's feeling it this Sunday? Uh, no, they have strategic meetings to plan the whole year. That's strategic plans for and preparation for the sermons. And they're going to teach strategically. And same thing with... Um, if we go teach um, as well as uh, baptism, like we 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 don't just expect our people to organically go get baptized in the lakes or rivers or jacuzzis. Like they, we have classes, we have weekends dedicated to it. We have like plans to make sure they know what they're doing. And so I always think like, man, why would we do that? One one left is the discipleship piece. Is we're still doing that organically when we do everything else strategically. But Jesus clearly did it strategically. And that's why I keep going back to this next gen thing is the next gen is the ones who are suffering when we take that organically. Because if we don't disciple them, the world would love to yeah. and is and has been. The only difference is and why I think we keep thinking something's changing in the next gen is because the world has changed a lot in the last 20 to 30 or 40 years. They don't look as close to the church as they used to. They look way further. And so now this generation is way further because they've been discipling them. And, and now we're seeing the cost of not discipling the next generation. Hmm. Have you seen a church or an organization offer that kind of strategy you're talking about or you have in mind, or that's what you're going to have to write? That's why, I mean, that's why we're doing a church plant when we have a lot of other things we are doing, honestly, is because because of that question is... Um, I, it's probably the number one question I've been asked, Carrie, is like, what what other churches are doing it? And I always want to shout out certain churches that, like, I think um, I think that Mana Church in North Carolina, uh, Hatcher, his last name, uh, he's on a military base. And I know he, he wrote a great book, I think it's called Empowering Leadership, where he was forced to focus on discipleship because being in a big city with a military base or one of the biggest military bases, that he was always 
losing members. And so he's like, I got to train up a culture of discipleship and empowerment because I'm going to lose my people. I think, Carrie, it's why so many campus ministries, not even just college ministries specifically, almost all college campus ministries, the ones that are on campus, Mm -hmm. really have a tendency to focus on discipleship because they're not going in with the mentality that we're keeping these people. They know from the offset we're losing them. I would say Jesus knew from the offset, I'm losing them. So when you know that, you're like, how do I equip them and prepare them as much as possible so I can send them rather than this idea of how do I just get them to keep coming back and invite their friends? So man at church, uh, college ministries, anyone else, anywhere else you would point people to? Way church. I mean, way church. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the one is good. like, no, we're, that's good. we want, Those are three we want examples. to, in Nashville, prioritize measuring discipleship, forming a culture of discipleship. And and if I could just, because like, I know it's a little bit of a harder word, I, I failed at doing this. And I remember having to get my staff, and I would recommend this to any staff, is there's not a lack of pastors that want to make disciples. Everyone cares about it. Um, yeah. I think uh, Pete Scazzaro has this, this unbelievably great like framework for what he calls the action and behavior gap, which I think you could apply to almost Reading everything. Reading through that right now again. Yeah. Yeah. And when he sh- saw that, I was like, man, this needs to be applied to so many of the principles of what we're called to do because we all esteem to or value discipleship. It's just moving from I value it to like I prioritize it. He, yeah. he uses it for Sabbath, which is a perfect place. We, we, we're so see, like no one dislikes the Sabbath. No one thinks we shouldn't do the Sabbath. It's just many of us, including myself, it's it's moving from like I value it to I'm prioritizing it no matter what. Um, and that's, that's the next step, I think, for the American church, at least. And uh, for us in the staff, it was kind of Hey, I'm gonna put everyone's everyone's staff's name on the on the board in the main meeting room, and I want to start in the next six months figuring out who are you discipling and who's discipling you. Um, I know you can't force discipleship; you can't force someone to say yes to disciple you, and you you can't even force someone to say yes to you pouring into them. And it's awkward sometimes and hard to ask. Uh, there's probably one of the big reasons we don't do it. Like, there's almost nothing like asking someone to disciple you or to be discipled other than asking someone to date you. It's kind of yeah. mm. weird, yeah. awkward. Yeah, it's a like, vulnerable I'm, question. And you're yeah, right, you're like, most people couldn't answer it. Yeah, you're putting yourself out there and you could be rejected. There's not a lot of things you do. I mean, other than maybe somewhat like sharing the gospel, but at least this one's more like, do you choose me? Not do you choose Jesus? Like, do you choose me? Am I worth it to you? And so I think it's it's hard. And that's why I was like, let's give six months. And I just want to know everyone has these asked upward and and downward. You've asked someone um, if you could to be discipled. And I found if giving a goal and giving a deadline and making it visual and making it a part of like something we so celebrate, yeah. um, it, people started making moves towards it and started becoming a part of the culture. So then we can start talking about it and failing forward in it. Because there's always something else that's on the calendar that's more important in our in and urgent at least than discipleship that it's got to be a consistent thing we see and talk about. Cheyenne, we've talked a lot about discipleship. Anything you would add? And otherwise, I got another question for you. Yeah, I'll add a, a couple of maybe just practical insights. Um, this is something I think Grant lived for a long time, and then just through uh, you know joining lives, um, I've I've definitely reaped the benefit of is like what do we what do how do we live out discipleship? It's like you're you're preaching a lot about this thing, but what does that actually look like? And for us, it looks like giving somebody access to our calendar and saying, what would you like to join? You know, what, what are you wanting to be discipled in? Um, like I'm discipling a young woman here in Nashville and 
She wants to learn how to be a communicator. She also wants to learn how to be a healthy leader. She's trying to figure out her purpose right now. She feels mm. called to ministry, but doesn't know exactly what that looks like. And so just we we had a really upfront conversation about what is it you want to grow in? Do you see that in me? It's okay if you don't. If you do, then like let's talk about it. I'd, I'd love to disciple you in that. If not, I would love to help connect you with somebody who I think could really pour into you in that area. So I think being specific, yeah. um, calling mm-hmm. out also a time length to the relationship, I think is really helpful. I think that might be actually something. So we were talking about the church and discipleship. It was interesting hearing that the groups that know that they only have a certain amount of time, the the military mm-hmm. base and college universities, they know they only have four years mm-hmm. on average that they're really intentional. So I do think there's something about knowing like, oh, we're in a one-year-long discipleship relationship. At the end of that one year, here's where you hope to have like grown. Um, and I think just adding that level of of clarity and intentionality goes above and beyond because then when we're having conversations and and we try really hard to um I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this ha- like this concept of habit stacking yeah um we really want to habit stack it's like i would love to meet you for coffee if i'm really wanting coffee but otherwise like let's go for like i'm, I'm trying to get really into walking out in nature that's yep. something that's really healthy for me why don't you come join that because i already have that on my calendar or you know i'm doing movie night with my niece and nephew who live with us right now like why don't you come join us for the movie night and you know we'll we'll hang out for a little bit once they've gone to bed, but not looking to add more things to your calendar, but just adding somebody to your calendar, giving them permission, being willing to honestly be vulnerable enough to let somebody see um, past the veneer, past that like, oh, I can show up and meet you at a coffee shop, but it's something different to let you in my home when I'm not cleaned in two weeks and laundry's everywhere and the kids have painted the side of the house and whatever else. So those are just a few maybe practical examples. Mm -hmm. By no means I would, think we would say that's like what you have to do. But just to, if it's helpful, a few ideas of what discipleship in the sense of how we kind of talk and think about it could look like. Okay. So here's where I want to wrap up. I want you to think five, 10 years in the future. I mean, the oldest millennials turned 42, I think this year. So yeah. we're not talking about kids anymore, but I want you to look five, 10 years in the future and think through the future church. How do you think when you, your generation really is fully shaping it, how ideally is it going to look? What's it going to look like? So this is the dream church, right? Or is it like based on what we're seeing now? Oh, you can play both scenarios. You can play both scenarios, but I'm talking about, I I mean, it's probably not going to be generic. We're doing what everybody else is doing. Let's just get people in the room. I know that that the jig's up on that. So what yeah. what, what do you think? How are you going to shape it ideally? And then maybe, okay, what's a realistic scenario? Sure. That's a fun question. Yeah. I think um, something that I dropped the ball in, in the discipleship conversation is realizing all these different elements of it that I'm excited that the Gen Z and maybe the youngest millennials, I think are going to add to the conversation is that, when I grew up in, let's say, in my early 20s, I felt like discipleship, if you said that, generally people thought of it as let's go through a book together. And I would say it was it was kind of thinking memorization. It's like, hey, we, we could memorize 
the Bible together or this book together. And so the ending of the timeline was, let's finish a book. And once I finished the book, you've been discipled. Um, and I just felt like it was lacking a little bit. So I was thinking, man, I'm not really thinking memorization. I'm probably thinking more like replication. I want to, like Jesus did, he, 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 trained them so much and impact them so much that they could go and do what he did. Uh, he would even say they will do greater things and, and in a way they, they reached more. Um, but you know, Carrie, as I've, this is only like the last couple of years, I realized in light of seeing this shift in towards, um, more vulnerability and open conversations around, uh, emotional health and the, the, clear need of emotional health and accountability and vulnerability and community from seeing so many leaders fall. Uh, we're seeing so many different leaders from Jeff Bethke, John Mac, uh, John Mark Homer, um, even, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, I grew up with him as like a missional guy and he was like, Grant, actually, I'm really moving. Uh, not that I'm leaving missions. I'm just, emotional health is the thing. I'm yeah. like, man, everyone's like shifting over to this as the conversation. Of course, we talked about Pete Scazzaro, Alicia, Ritually, I'm just, it's the message that's definitely resonating, especially with young leadership that I always think, okay, memorization is important because I want the, the next generation, not just to know how to lead, but to know and be anchored in the word of God. So it's, it's kind of, to me, a threefold uh, piece that I would want to see in the future churches. They, they know God's word and they memorized it and it's in them absorbed. Two, they replicate it. So they not just know God, they, they're they making an impact for his name and they know how to because they shadowed and saw it done well. And so they're doing it with excellence and winsomely. But then third, they're healthy and they last and they finish well and they hear from God, well done, uh, yeah. good and faithful servant. And they know how to connect with their children, their spouse, their their they their people in general. They, they have uh, the emotional health to do that. And so it's, it's transformation, that inner transformation, I would say, um, leadership replication as well as, uh, biblical, uh, memorization. The second full, the second part is, this might be an odd one, but I really think, man, we got to talk about more and it's some, a conversation has been had. I just don't think it's been tied with next gen. And I, I am excited for how few young people uh, even know much about the sacred and secular divide um, in Gen Z. And I, I'm thinking that's a silver lining is they they don't need to unlearn it. They never learned it as much, as well as I'm so thankful for how many young people are tired of church being just an event. Mm. And so they want something more. And that's a good thing. It's like, how do I think in the coming years we'll capitalize on, okay, this latent energy want, there's not a lot of young people that are leaving because they're lazy. They're leaving and joining social entrepreneur organizations. They have tons of side hustles statistically. Like so many of them are building something, creating content online. They're they're definitely creative and passionate and there there's this energy. It's just not going into kingdom efforts. And so um, what I think the future church will be is like, we, we are going to have a more robust form of success of what church success looks like to where it's in the world. It's, um, one of the big conversations we're trying to think through in culture of way churches. Yes. Discipleship. Yes. Community. And third is how do we, how do we hinge the success of our church on the success of our people in the city, in their work mm. and in their faithfulness? Right. Like, um, some of my thinking of layers of that is, are they, are they a faithful witness, of course? Are they excellent and respected in the industry that they're in or the job that they're in? Um, are they, mm -hmm. do they bring like health and stuff to that? Or when they, if they leave the job, is it just like anyone else? Or like, are people glad when they leave? Or they're like, man, we just lost, we got to hire two people because of losing this person. Like we didn't even realize how much that person was doing. They're so good at what they do. They bring so much to the culture. We miss this person. Like they, 
the 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 hospitality, the intentionality, that we're such a faithful witness, a gospel witness, and we're really good at what we do. Um, but to mm. I think like the hero, even in videos at in churches today, again, it's usually, hey, this is John. John used to drink a lot, got saved, and now John's on the parking team. And basically, it's like be like John, and <laughs> and I, I mean be like John because we need parking team. Absolutely need parking team. I'm not negating that. I just think and maybe we need other forms of uh, heroes in the faith too because it's either like that or it's a missionary overseas. There's a big gap of people that are in between that aren't going to be maybe one of those two uh, where. It's uh, a lawyer or a doctor or someone who c- cannot commit to that kind of uh, weekly, but they can do something else. Or they are doing amazing things for the kingdom, but they're not really getting highlighted. And I, I think the more we can highlight Christians and culture um, and see them as a representation of our church in the city, the more we're going to reach the next gen where they're like, wow, I didn't see, I've never got this kind of support from my church for just doing my job, but now I, I'm learning how to do it more faithfully, with more excellence, and and with more intentionality. Yeah, mm. yeah. For us, something that's been really um, helpful frameworks to think about this and have strategic conversations with young leaders is fivefold. So, yeah, a pest, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Just what is what are the gifts? Um, being like who we are, who God created us to be. How how do we steward ourselves as gifts to the world? not in like a high and mighty way, but just in a, a stewardship kind of role, as well as the the seven channels or seven mountains. There's a few different names of it. But it's like, but what are, what are the kind of influential main spheres in our everyday society? And so then you begin to kind of see this overlay of, okay, where do I find myself yeah. vocationally? Where am I spending the majority of my just hours, especially, you know, weekday hours? Um, and then h- how has God wired me? Like what... What is my particular kind of expression of crisis? It just very naturally kind of flows out of me. It's just part of how um, God knitted me me together. And so, for example, like I'm a shepherd heart working at a tech company. And so, you know, working at at Glue and working with engineers and working with brilliant people. uh, I get to work really closely with our friends at Barnett who are just uh, incredible humans and also some of the smartest people I know. And so it's like, what does it look like to engage missionally at that specific intersection? Because that's where God's put me right now. And so how do I, as someone who has kind of a shepherd heart, show up in a technology digital kind of partnership space? And what does that look like? Well, for me, it looks like checking in on the people I meet with regularly. It's like not kicking off every single meeting with, okay, here's the to-do list, here's the agenda. It's taking, you know, six, seven minutes to just be like, hey, how's everybody going? Like, I know you were doing this and that this weekend. You know, it's just the intentionality. Mm-hmm. And that might look super different for someone who has more of kind of a an apostolic or almost like an entrepreneurial yeah. bent. Like, that's yeah. going to look really different, even if you're in the same space or no, um, so if you're in a different space with a similar wiring. And I think that just begins to um, to underline and bring to light purpose. Which innately, you know, I think we were all designed with this this desire to want to make an impact in the world. It's like, why was I created? Like, what is my purpose? And that can be a really interesting kind of framework to play with to begin to kind of narrow in and, and have some really good conversations with people who know you, who love you, um, who know and love Jesus around what that could look like. Well, I'll tell you, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, final thought. I said that was final question. Now the final, final. 
And then we, we <laughs> should wrap up. I'll go to Grant for one and you, Cheyenne, for the other. Grant, uh, one piece of advice to leaders over the age of 40 when it comes to empowering the next generation. Make this like a bumper sticker, a sound bite, like just real quick. You're saying one well, minute or one sentence? Uh, one sentence, one minute. I mean, you pick. Advice I'll do, for I will do. Older. I can do it in a minute. I will say. Okay, you do it in a minute. Um, look at Saul, and he did an amazing job until he got back to Jerusalem. Uh, mm. He allowed a young leader that didn't have the credentials, uh, but seemed like he had the hand of God, to to empower him to do one of the biggest things ever. Like I said, they don't leave because they're getting asked to do too much, but too little. And David, man, that was a huge responsibility. And we often don't want them to do big things because if they fail big time, which they will, then sometimes, um, then we, it'll really hurt us. But man, if you give them such a big responsibility, I think David never forsakes Saul because we all remember the first individuals who were older who just believed in us and gambled on us. And it's it's a connection for life almost to that person. And so there's such power in that. Two, he didn't, Saul did not force him to do it his own way. He's not like, hey, you know you're fighting Goliath. You should wear armor. Uh, you should take a sword. And I think we're in a time right now where we see Goliath or the culture taunting us and saying, oh, the church is dying, church is dying, church is dying for decades. I've been, we keep hearing this and I think it's time for a new way, not a new gospel at all, but a new approach and um, and letting a young leader or young leadership come and say, hey, I think we should try it this way. And it might end up being like, we're shocked it works. Uh, but third, uh, is when we come back, it doesn't matter if they get a lot of credit. We need to learn how to like share the credit. He still got mm -hmm. thousands. And today it would be like, well, the David got 10,000 followers and you only got a thousand followers. Who cares? Like God exactly. is going to win. Mm -hmm. Like God is going to win. There's more than enough lost people in the next generation for us all to just give it all for him and share. We don't care who gets the credit. We really are doing this for the kingdom. Diane, what would you say for under 40 leaders? So mm. your generation, you got to give them a piece of advice. What are you telling them? Yeah, I would say a similar um, sentiment, actually. Uh, stay humble, embrace humility, and stay hungry. And those two things don't have to uh, conflict or compete with one another. Um, a book that is just radically kind of shaping my heart and mind right now is uh, Humility and Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. And I, the more I read into it, the more it's just the Holy Spirit's revealing in my own heart. It's just my own lack of humility. And I, I think that can be such an easy place for um, those of us who are younger to get tripped up, is to, to think that because I've got the digital savvy, because I've got you know opportunities here and opportunities there, I'm a gift in this way, and I've got these sorts of, you know, strengths and leadership criteria, personality, whatever it may be. Like we, we can begin to think a little too highly of ourselves, a little too easily. Um, there's a reason why pride was the thing that got us in trouble in the first place. So that's true of all of us, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think embracing humility oh. goes a long way. Great. I've so appreciated this conversation. People are going to want to track with you. So easy places to find you both online. Uh, luckily, He's easier to find. <laughs> I, I already outed myself earlier. I was like, I, I'm not great at social media, but it's fine. I'm there. Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, we've, I've never seen the last name Skeldon before with a D. And so Grant Skeldon and Cheyenne Skeldon at 
Uh, I think we both have our own websites now, uh, yeah. Grant Skeleton and ShineSkeleton.com. And then also, if you ever want to hang with us, we are doing the Next Gen Summit at NextGenSummit.com yes. uh, here in November. Cool. Cool. Thank you both so very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks a ton, Carrie. Yeah, Great thanks, to Carrie. hang. Appreciate you. Oh man, I sure love the heart of the next generation. Thanks so much, Grant and Cheyenne, for everything you're doing. If you want more, we have show notes and we've got transcripts. You can find them over at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 616. And also coming up, we've got some exciting episodes I'm going to tell you about. But first, make sure you visit 10by10.org today to access free resources to reach the next generation be part of an initiative that's reaching 10 million young adults over the next decade. Go to 10by10.org, T-E-N-X-1-0.org today. And then join 16,000 other churches partnering with Subsplash to make disciples in the hybrid reality of church today at subsplash.com slash carry. That's subsplash.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. Next episode, we've got William Vanderblumen coming up. I'm never bored when I sit down with William. He always makes me think. We talk about the future of work and what it's like to actually find the right candidate for the job. I think the succession crisis is a crisis, so William helps us weigh in on that. And the list was nothing that I thought it would be. Wow. It's it's not even, uh, he was the quarterback, she was the head cheerleader. Right. It's not education levels. It's not intelligence. It's not socioeconomic or racial. It cut across every age bracket. There were 12 habits that these unicorns almost seemed to be driven to perform. Like they, they were obsessed. They didn't even know it, but just, this is where I go naturally. And they were 12 habits that were very uncommon among the rest of us and exceedingly applicable and learnable. Hmm. And so what we set off on this selfish, let's figure out how to spot the unicorn. What we figured out was we've actually uncovered a roadmap to becoming a unicorn. So that's next time on the podcast. Also coming up in the remainder of this year, Jenny Catron, Mike Foster, Karen Gordon. Plus, we're going to bring you some highlights from the Art of Leadership Network. Then... I kick off 2024 with a Church Trends series. I'm very excited for that. I always do a Church Trends, or always, I mean, for the last six, seven years, have done a Church Trends post on my blog. It always does one of the best articles uh, in terms of, you know, leaders accessing it all year. Well, we're doing it on the blog, but we're also bringing it to the podcast. JP Pocluda, Gabriel McCullough, and I dissect my church trends. Then I sit down with David Kinneman, Ryan Burge, Brady Shear, and John Mark Comer in successive episodes, and we talk about the trends that they're seeing. So that's coming up. I think it's going to be a fun way to kick off 2024. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to and share it with a friend. Give us some feedback. Give a shout out to Grant and Cheyenne on TikTok, on Instagram, or wherever you happen to be on social. And make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you would be so kind, please leave a rating and review. Let us know what you think. And that helps us all get the word out so we can keep doing this. So one more thing, because you listen to the end, I got something free for you. If you want to start transforming your preaching, go to preachingcheatsheet.com and get your copy of the Preaching Cheat Sheet for free. Uh, what it does, it's helped tens of thousands of leaders run every message they give through a little filter that makes sure that you know that it will connect 
before you deliver it. Preachingcheatsheet.com. It's free. Uh, Link will also be available in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I so appreciate you. And I hope our time together today helped you identify and break a growth barrier you're facing. 